The Bible Study Podcast, episode 633. We're going to take a break today from the study of the book of Nehemiah for a sermon on sin. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I preached this Sunday again at my church, which is Bethel Lutheran Church in Cupertino, California. And I wanted to share that with you in lieu of continuing on with Nehemiah for this week. And this week I preached on two different scripture lessons, one from Isaiah, which goes like this, Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, new moons, sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies." Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And then again, from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, Zacchaeus the tax collector Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." Uh, I left you with an assignment three weeks ago when I preached. Does anyone remember what that assignment was? To pray for Bethel specifically on Wednesdays, those middle days. And I bring that up to remind you, and that's the last I'm going to talk about, the transition we're going through. That's the good news. (laughs) The bad news is when I looked at the lectionary for this week and saw that what the verses were, I said to Joan, oh, no. I'm preaching on sin. <laughs> and I was reminded of a cartoon that I saw years ago of the pastor standing in front of an empty congregation saying, as you know, last week I said some things that needed to be said. <laughs> and I literally, and this is, this is honestly true, I went and I googled 
online to see if there was some unwritten rule that a guest preacher should not preach on major topics like sin. And do you know what I learned? You can't Google for unwritten rules. <laughs> and so we're going to give it a try. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. You heard the verses that were read from Isaiah, and there's some bad news in them, and there's some really bad news in them. And the first bad news is when you look at these verses here that are talking about addressing the rulers of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah, we need to put that in context because Sodom and Gomorrah, as you probably remember, were two cities that were notorious for their sin and were destroyed for their sin. But they were destroyed in the time of Abraham. So when Isaiah says he is talking to the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, he's not. He's almost a thousand years later. And he's addressing the people of Israel as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is bad news. When one of the major prophets looks at you and addresses you and says, you remind me of the cities that God destroyed because of their sin, that's not good. And you need to pay attention. So that's the bad news. But the really bad news, I don't know if you caught but he's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who are bringing their offerings, who are praying, who are attending worship. Uh, This is not great, but he's saying to them, God says to them, basically, if you're going to live like this, your worship is a waste of time. Because what you're doing is belying what you're saying. So Israel in these verses has a problem with sin. And I want to do some of what Robin did. I want to talk about definitions. Let's talk a little bit about what sin means. And many of you will know already from other sermons you have heard that the word in Greek is borrowed from archery. It is literally a word that means to miss the mark. So to, to do the thing you should not do, but also to not do the thing you should do. To, to miss the mark, to be off target. But how many of you, when we start to say we're going to talk about sin, how many of you went to the Ten Commandments? How many of you thought of the Ten Commandments? Okay, I'm not the only one, all right? We tend, I think when we think of sin, we tend to think of of law and rules and commandments. And I'm going to encourage you later in this sermon that that's probably not the frame of mind we should have. But I want to tell you two stories that illustrate what Paul says about sin in the book of Romans. So first of all, last week, Joan and I were on a road trip. We had gone to the Utah National Parks, and about this time last week, we were in Las Vegas, and we needed to drive back to San Jose. Uh, It is a long drive, at least eight hours of driving uh, through Barstow because of a road closure. It is a, a drive largely unencumbered with scenery. And, but it, it does have a fast speed limit. The speed limit is almost 70 miles per hour the whole way. Now, if you know that I am generally a law-abiding person, that the speed limit is 70 miles per hour, and that I had a cruise control, 
what number do you think I set that cruise control at? 75, 74. <laughs> 74 miles per hour. Um, why did I do that? Why do you think I did that? Has anybody else done this? Everybody else was doing it. That's always a great thing to bring up in a sermon on sin. Yeah, everybody else was doing it. Okay. What was the other reason I did it? <laughs> Not true. Um, I thought I could get away with it. And the problem with when we think of sin in a relationship to law is, as Paul says in the book of Romans, is the law was able to tell us the things that we were doing wrong, but it had no power to save us. It had no power to change us. Just because we know that something is the law, the limit, the command, or whatever, doesn't mean that we will do it. But there's a worse problem, and I want to tell you another story from a different road trip. Jonah and I were at a Taco Bell, and I know it was a road trip because that's the only time I can get Jonah into a Taco Bell. And I don't remember the trip, and I don't remember what we ate, but I very distinctly remember a mother and a son who were sitting next to us. She brought the food over to the table, and she set it down, and she went to get the hot sauce, because you have to get the hot sauce, right? It's better with hot sauce. Now, there are a variety of parenting styles that she could use to communicate this to her son. She could have said, oh, my beloved son, I have brought the food, but now I'm going to go get the hot sauce. And you can eat the food if you like, but I think you will find the experience is enhanced if you wait for me to get back with the hot sauce. She could have said that. That, it turns out, was not her parenting style. She said, don't touch the food till I get back. What do you think the kid did when she turned her back? (laughs) Anyone? He unwrapped the food, touched the food, and wrapped it up really quickly. (laughs) Now, I don't think you were at that Taco Bell. It seems unlikely. And I don't think I've used this as a sermon illustration before. I haven't preached that many times. But many of you knew exactly what that kid would do. And what Paul says in the letter to Romans is that the problem with sin is even that it doesn't have the power to save us. But he said, I didn't know what sin was till I read the law, but then when I learned what coveting was, I wanted to do all sorts of coveting. That it's even worse than not being able to save us. Sometimes when I learn it's a rule, I want to break it. We are children of Adam and Eve who... It's an apple in the picture, but we don't know what the fruit was. But they found themselves in a garden where they could eat 99.9% of the fruit. It was all great, I suspect. And they were told just not to eat that one fruit from that one tree. And suddenly, nothing else looked good. Now, there is good news in these verses to Isaiah. The good news is that way that verse end. That verse ended with, God had sent Isaiah the prophet to the people of Israel to confront them with their sin so that they would repent so that he could forgive them. That God desired to forgive them. That God is in the forgiveness business. That was the whole point of sending the prophet. 
was so that they could be forgiven. But I think sometimes we sell God short because we stop there with God's role and God's action towards sin. So I want to challenge you that if you read the Bible, front to back, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, I challenge you that I believe that the Bible is about relationships. That the Bible is about the relationship between God and his people, that the relationship between us and God, the relationship between us and each other. And I'm not the only one who has ever had this thought. Uh, In the century before Jesus, the Jewish teacher Hillel was charged by someone who was Gentile. He said, I will convert to Judaism if you can explain to me the Torah while you stand on one foot. And he said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, while the rest is commentary. You may recognize that this is a version of, a less proactive version of the golden rule that Jesus would give us. But moreover, Jesus later on says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. Love your neighbor and yourself and the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, if you do these two things, if you do the loving, if you do the loving of God and the loving of neighbor, everything else falls into place. And that brings us to this guy up a tree. Now, how many of you remember Zacchaeus from Sunday school? Okay? And you may remember that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That was the song they taught me in Sunday school. Anybody else learned this song? Okay. It's missing something. It talks about Zacchaeus as if the most important thing about Zacchaeus was that Zacchaeus was short. I guarantee you that when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I am going to your house today, no one said, Zacchaeus, you're going to the house of Zacchaeus. How can you do that? He's so short. (laughs) That is not what our passage said. That is not what his neighbors thought of when they thought of Zacchaeus. They didn't think hey, there's that short guy. They thought, hey, there's that sinner. And the Bible tells us a little more specifically about what Zacchaeus' sin was when it says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, I had a friend who worked for the IRS, and I do not believe that because he worked for the IRS, he was therefore a sinner. He was a public servant. But there's some difference between Zacchaeus and my friend who worked for the IRS, and there are two differences you should be aware of. One is he was not a tax collector so much as a tax farmer. What he had done is he had bought from Rome the privilege of collecting taxes. The only money that Rome would get would be the money that Zacchaeus paid them for this region. But how much money he gets depends on how much he collects. No real fine lines in terms of what he can collect, and so he can collect a lot more than he's going to send to Rome. So that's the first thing to know. This is not going to make you popular. The second thing to know is when you see the word tax collector in the New Testament, I want you to think 
Quisling or traitor? Because he's collecting those taxes for Rome to pay those soldiers who keep us from being free. So when people see Jesus go to the house of this sinner, they're thinking Zacchaeus, sinner, traitor. And Zacchaeus, I believe, I think it's fairly clear from our lesson, hears what they're whispering, and he's heard these whispers before. Now, do you think Zacchaeus was suddenly confronted with his sin because Jesus preached that great sermon that he just did on sin? That's not what it says. Does Zacchaeus get confronted because Jesus looks up in the decree and says, Zacchaeus, you sinner, you come down, because we have to talk about your behavior. That's also not what it says. Zacchaeus, come down, I have to stay with you. All Jesus did was show Zacchaeus love and acceptance. And somehow that made a difference. He knew the law before, but something just changed. Should we be surprised that Zacchaeus is changed by that invitation, the invitation over to your house, I'm not sure that that invitation is the word there, um, that that Jesus made? So Joan and I have been married for almost 38 years, Uh, 38 years at the end of this month. And I have heard a lot of marital advice over that time period. I have sought out marital advice over that time period. Really bad marital advice would be, you should just do whatever you can get away with. (laughs) Anybody with me, that would be very bad advice to give to someone in any sort of relationship. That's not going to be good for that relationship. Even just make sure you do your half is not what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me as a husband, I'm supposed to lay down my life for her like Christ laid down his life for the church. That love is shown in actions. That love is shown in sacrifice. As we think about sin, I want you to think about sin in terms of our relationships. Because sin is those things that break relationship with us and God, as Robin talked about, but also with us and each other. And the thing that overcomes sin, as Jesus said, is not law, it's love. It's loving those around us enough to not break that relationship. It's loving God enough and knowing God loves us enough to not break that relationship. I have an opportunity to teach about sin more often than most. As many of you know, I also teach a Bible study on Wednesday nights at uh, Juvenile Hall, have been doing so for 15 years or so, in a lockdown unit for violent youth offenders. And so, as I've shared a couple times here, when someone comes to me and says, can God even forgive me? Can God even forgive murder? I know that it's probably not a rhetorical question. But I would leave you with what I leave them with, which is there are two things I want you to remember. One is the thing we hear a lot. 
which is that God loves you as you are right now without changing a single thing. God loved Zacchaeus when he was up a tree both physically and theologically. God loved him as he was at that moment. But also, God loves you too much to leave you as you are right now. Desires the best for you for your relationships. That God desires the best for us. And like that love of a parent, a good parent, desires to change us. And in fact, sends the indwelling Holy Spirit to continue to work on making us more like Jesus. Amen. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.